0: Welcome to Fifth Wall's Building to Zero podcast. The real estate industry is the world's single largest contributor to climate change. At Fifth Wall, we're on a mission to help the industry eradicate its carbon emissions and build to zero. I'm your host, Brendan Wallace. In today's episode, I catch up with Ryan Morris, Executive Chairman and CEO of Turntide Technologies, a fifth wall portfolio company. Turntide's innovation, an advanced type of switch reluctance motor, runs with 30 to 60% energy savings over the traditional AC induction motors that they replace and result in enormous energy savings for users. From elevators in your building to the fan in your car, to water and sewage treatment plants, electric motors are everywhere and run some of the most critical parts of modern society. Ryan shares details on how companies like Amazon are utilizing the product and frames the cost savings for building owners. Enjoy the conversation. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining. Uh, Thrilled to chat with you, thrilled to be investors. And what is that uh, beautiful uh, city view behind you?
1: Oh, I actually, I don't even know. This is just like our, it's high tech. It's, you know, the sun's rising, you know, the future is optimistic. Some uh, marketing person came up. I
0: feel like the sun's coming in very glaringly on this side of me. So there's a, there's a accidental congruence here in our lighting.
1: I, nor- <laughs> I normally have Burning Man as my background for all my meetings, but I figured your uh, real estate folk would... Uh, you know, want to see something closer. Now.
0: You might be surprised. Um, but anyway, I, I want to talk just quickly about your background and how you started Turntide. You've had such a diverse career right across investing, obviously a lot of experience in it around the energy sector. But can you just walk through your career arc and how you got to found the company?
1: Yeah, thanks. I, um, I, I would describe to help understand some of like how I got here. Uh, there were a few pillars that were really early in my life. So it's important to pick your heroes wisely when you're young. And uh, first, I learned about nuclear fusion when I was about 11. It's actually from a little documentary that Ben Affleck's first uh, acting break called Voyage of the Neemie. So that's a, a people of our kind of age and generation probably even grew up with in school. So, nuclear fusion here's this thing that's like high tech, save the world, clean energy, unlimited, you know, like the sun end pollution. This is a very big goal, and it sounds much easier than it is. Uh, And so that was kind of the first real spark of like, wow, it's it's possible that we can solve these huge problems with enough technology. Uh, And then I I I realized you needed a lot of capital if you wanted to go solve these kind of problems. I had a pretty practical father, and so I read all of Warren Buffett's you know investor letters when I was probably twelve. And then there's this other guy named Ray Kurzweil who I would say has articulated uh, the generalized version of Moore's law and how one of the most predictable things in all of human development is these exponential price performance curves of computing power. So Mark Andreessen in an op-ed said software is eating the world. compute is eating the world is more accurate technically but you know this is this is like the most unstoppable most predictable force of virtual life human development. So you take you know clean energy, compounding, you know, capital needs to build things like Buffett. Uh, and then this concept of exponential technology that this was sort of the seed for me of like, okay, I, I sort of have this, uh, core idea of how I want to have an impact pretty early. Um, and so I, uh, it's funny, I, I was not in the real world for a while. I was a national champion rower and road cyclist. So I sort of figured, Hey, I'm only young once I go to do this other thing in the business world and energy world would be there when I get back. And uh, so I, I, you know, I went through school as an engineer, uh, but you know, I think the thing that I was always really fascinated by, I it was interesting. I thought, and this has a bit of overlap with football. I had always thought Silicon Valley had a bit too much of kind of a lottery ticket, uh, you know, level of uncertainty, where you know you hear about these amazing technologies, but you also don't hear about, you know, ninety percent of companies that VC's uh, fund fail. And you know, I, I have a quote that I love from Charlie Munger. Uh, Warren Buffett's partner, just tell me, uh, where am I going to die, and then I'll just never go there. (laughs) Uh, And so this idea of working backwards from failure modes has sort of pervaded a lot of my thinking. And the way that uh, I've expressed that in in different companies is go into uh, proven industries. So there's like lots of revenue, you know, companies are already there uh, that have very high barriers to entry. So this is kind of the Buffett mindset of like, hey, what's going to be around 10, 20, 30 years from now Uh, and see that very clearly. But then where can you apply these exponential technologies? So if you think of things like in, you know, maybe your market in real estate or an industrial technology, things that have very high reliability requirements, very, very, very difficult to break in as as a brand new startup. You know, you have to have either that very deep science that just takes 5, 10 plus years to develop, there's no shortcuts. Um, so I, I, like these things that are kind of, there's no, there's no shortcuts and they're just very hard because a lot of people get scared of hard problems, but they can actually be very you know, predictable if you, you dedicate.
0: Uh, and it the creates, equipment. I imagine a barrier to entry as well. There's a, there's a scientific and structural barrier to entry. Once you cross some critical threshold,
1: right. Of differentiation. Yeah, exactly. And the problems are clearly worth solving, right? Because you know, the target, like, you know, how much energy is being used for, you know, what the problem is in advance. Uh, the thing that exposed me to that led to Turntide was uh, there's this other motor architecture called a switched reluctance motor. Uh, and it's, it's been around for a long time as a concept, but you could think of it as like the simplest uh, possible mechanical motor that can be made, uh, but it's very hard to control. It's sort of like trying to ride a bicycle backwards, you know, mechanically unstable. My software engineering background, it was, it was totally obvious that this was a class of problem that if you could throw enough compute at it, you know, like the make, make the software eat the world, this should be solvable. And then I came across this company in Silicon Valley at the time called, it was called Software Motor Company. There was about 10 years of R and D work, uh, that had really just proven out to work. So, you know, the timing, you know, when I, when I met them, it was right around when they, they solved that. And so the core R and D people are, are still with us, but, uh, you know, they had proven, that this could be made in fact is the most efficient motor possible. Like that was sort of theoretically possible but nobody actually it over the finish line. And so, you know, in the last four years, we've gone from an eight person kind of R and D group, uh, to go 150 people. And you know, really, really scaling now and having an impact.
0: There's a whole lot of just non-intuitive statistics about how critical motors are to the economy. And I'll just go through some of them. And, I, and I'm curious, Um, If you can kind of unpack some of these, because I think this will surprise a lot of people. One is just the sheer quantum of motors that are out there, right? Like, I don't think about motors really in my everyday life, but they are everywhere around me, right? They they are powering everything that makes my life and the global economy possible. So just how many motors are there in the world? The second is how much energy they consume. Like, you know, they consume almost half the world's energy and no one thinks about them. And then lastly, how much of that energy is wasted in the existing motor design? So can you kind of just unpack some of those statistics for people? Because I think it'll surprise our audience.
1: Yeah, so motors are kind of the hidden champions that really, literally anything that moves in civilization, there is almost by definition a motor, uh, either rotating or linear motor uh, behind that. So lighting is, is very visible. It's in the room with you. You know, that's it's only something like 10 percent of electricity is lighting and computer screens. Uh, Motors are half of all electricity. I I don't know the exact number of motors because it's kind of a power law. Like you can have megawatt large motors and then you can have the little ones spinning your hard disk drives that are using the micro milliwatt or something. Uh, I think the number I heard is like 19 million made per day or something like that. 19
0: million motors made per day.
1: Yeah, around the world, and it is a a lot. Obviously, numerically, a lot of those are the really tiny ones that are, you know, small devices. Uh, we're focused on the bigger ones that kind of one horsepower and above that are in more commercial systems. We'll, we'll eventually get into some of the smaller ones. The core technology applies to that. And when you look at the energy consumption, it's uh you, you know it's like an 80-20 rule. Like eighty percent or more is from the you know, one plus or, you know, three plus horsepower motors because somebody using a million you know watts versus you know one watt it's uh, got a much bigger bigger footprint uh, but yeah half the electricity in the entire world so like all of the power plants and all of the dams and everything on the generation side are now solar panels and wind turbines you know the, the other side of that that electricity wire is is a motor you know half the time uh, for, for the electrons and uh, it's over a trillion dollars a year of electricity just you know for order of magnitude so uh, when you talk about you know waste I mean I, I think you know it's funny I'm'm you know, I'm Canadian so I'm like sort of ambivalent on global warming but like really dislike pollution <laughs> uh, so I'm like yeah I definitely want lots of energy consumption but I, I want it to have a purpose you know waste is just such a, a sin right and so the idea of you know you have uh, it turns out about half of the electricity of this trillion dollars is getting wasted. By the way, just just for context, like 80% of the energy that goes into cars today, internal combustion engine, is wasted. So motors are already better. Electric motors are already much better, you know, than combustion vehicles. And that's why we need to decarbonize the economy, because it's not just, you know, carbon that's bad, but it's like the systems are very inefficient. Um, but so electric electric motors, you know, let's say about half of the energy actually gets used for its purpose. And you're never going to make that 100% because there's physical limits, you know, to thermal losses, um, but you can certainly make the motors run at the speed that they need to accomplish their goal. And I mean, just as an example, uh, you take HVAC systems, most of the HVAC systems in the world, uh, like in the US, I think there's 20 million package rooftop units and 18 million of them, the main... Uh, blower motor the fan that circulates the air runs at full speed all the time whether it needs to you know heat cool a lot or a little and it's just totally wasteful but it's it, it's like cheaper to build the system that way up front because having variable speed is complicated for motors uh you need a fairly advanced electronics or any motor to change its speed actually and, um, yeah, so, I mean, there's just, you know, sort of inefficient physics and then unintelligent controls or lack of control completely are, um, you know, ultimately it's a half of, half a trillion dollars uh, a year problem. Wow. And
0: when you think about that, you know, say half a trillion dollar a year problem, if you were to explain why turntide, um, is better, is superior to the existing motors, right? Uh, some portion of the 19 million motors that are built every day. How would you explain that, just in, in simplistic kind of layman's terms?
1: Yeah, so it's uh, the nature of technologies that have more information processing at their core. Uh, so there's no free lunch in you know in engineering. But what's amazing is you can substitute mechanical material costs. Uh, In complexity with more information processing. And because bits are, you know, abstract, uh, you know, like think of Amazon, for example, Amazon could not exist without all the computing power, you couldn't reduce the footprint, the retail real estate footprint, uh, or transform it without the power of computing. And so really, it's the first time that there's truly an architecture that can take advantage of all these big tailwinds from Moore's law. So we can strip cost and material out of the system both to build it we don't use any like magnets or rare earth metals or anything that other you know high efficiency motors need they're expensive and you got to dig up you know jungle or something to get the materials um and and you're replacing that with with computing uh that obviously keeps getting exponentially uh, you know better and, and cheaper and has a lower physical footprint environmental footprint Um, So that's really the key ingredient that we're doing is we're leveraging that uh, to make a motor use less energy and use less materials to build it in the first place.
0: Got it. And, and, you know, for real estate owners, like I I think for most real estate CEOs, it again would be pretty non-intuitive to them how many motors exist within their buildings and how much energy those motors are consuming and in turn how much energy those motors are wasting. Um, so when you think about the applications of Turntide for, the commer- say, the commercial real estate industry, um, how should a real estate owner be thinking about it? And how do you think about approaching deployment into commercial real estate assets?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting problem. So, I mean, in general, motors and buildings are going to be, uh, you know, half or, or more. the. Exactly. I, I think the DOE stat is like 40% of all building energy is going into HVAC. And behind that, you know, most of that's going to be motors. Uh, it's certainly a bigger footprint than than lighting, you know, 2 to 3x. Uh, it's usually like on the roof or in the background. So somebody is not necessarily thinking about it. Uh, and I think historically, too, it's not been an area that could be necessarily addressed. So if somebody, you know, buys a building or builds a building, the, the HVAC is just spec of whatever the kind of minimum regulatory requirements are I think there wasn't a lot of thought to you know hey could we make this more efficient uh you know real estate's interesting market you end up with all these uh, sort of agency costs and, and in the built environment I think you have a real need uh to coordinate you know the, the different decision layers because the person who builds a building isn't necessarily the one who's going to occupy it and pay the electricity bill um and so just these are the kinds of things that uh, you, you know, this, this touches a lot of, it's a, it's a complex problem and you guys are sort of in the middle of all of it, which is very cool. Um, but yeah, having number one, the awareness and, uh, you know, the, the regulations are going to be really ticking up. Like I think New York City just uh, this last year started putting kind of an energy health code thing on the you know, requirement on the building as an example. And so that's bringing to the surface, you know, hey, what is your HVAC system doing? What are, what are the pumps doing? What are the motors that are getting the water up 50 flights of stairs to the tap. I mean, if you ever walked up 50 flights of stairs, it's a lot of energy uh, you know. and that's a motor turning that pump to make the, the bathroom work at the top floor. So there's a, there's a lot uh, to first uncover before you can even address it.
0: Yeah. I think what's, what's kind of um, again, non-obvious to a lot of real estate owners that have been in the business of owning commercial real estate is, is actually how complex, these things we call buildings are. I think, you know, the the construct, the the mental and the financial construct of how commercial real estate owners have operated their business is, yeah, I build a building or I own a building and it's got a roof, it keeps the rain out. It's got some doors, got some security, keeps the bad people out. Um, it's got some lights, keeps the lights on. But the actual conveyance, the provisioning of that is far more complicated. And the nexus of that with what we think of as like smart buildings and industrial IoT, and a lot of the requisite systems that support that, these real estate owners are now having to learn, and they're having to learn it fast because of new environmental standards, because of, you know, making buildings smarter and and more functional. And I know that you've had a big pilot with, with Amazon. Can you talk a little bit about that? And what kind of some of the learnings have been from that? highlight
1: yeah i know so amazon uh you know has been they're an investor of ours and obviously has a has a massive physical footprint uh just just because they're a big company uh i mean they're you know probably per, per foot more efficient because they don't have all the showroom space uh compared to other retailers but you know we're uh we're working on the hvac systems first so our, our core product today is hvac systems we're starting to work on some data center areas uh as well like that's a Actually, one of the motivations originally was starting the company was to make uh, data centers because cooling is such a huge uh, component there, make that more efficient. Um, but yeah, so eight, they, their fulfillment centers have uh, very big HVAC uh, footprints, as you'd imagine, so they're large buildings. And so our our standard product is we are upgrading the uh, main ventilation motors so that we can make them number one run more efficiently and number two run at a more you know, intelligent speed because you're. You're not always at full capacity in the building. It depends on the temperature outside, and so you're just just wanting to use the energy that you need. And um, I don't know if we've got the final numbers back from from the Amazon uh, piece, but we're on average for the systems that we're doing, like they're they're fairly. Uh, there's quite a bit of standardization for these kind of larger, flatter buildings, like a fulfillment center or like a you know retail store, and they use these uh, architecture called package rooftop units and we've seen a 65% average reduction in energy. Uh, it's pretty consistent. It's usually you know between 60 and 70% uh, for these things. So I mean, this is you know this this is a huge uh, improvement. I mean, typically we're seeing like a two to three year straight line payback for, for an installation. Uh, so it's sort of similar or maybe even better than LED lighting upgrades. Uh, and we're we're looking to see a lot of maintenance benefits too, because we can sort of more smoothly you know, ramp up and down the equipment or, you know, intelligent controls. We're starting to get into more predictive maintenance. So really energy and, and service cost reductions uh, while, you know, improving uptime is sort of the, the key buckets. But uh, yeah, Amazon is, uh, I, I've got to say, like, I, um, I'm really impressed with what they're doing. I mean, they're genuinely committed to, you know, this climate pledge, you know, 10 years ahead of the Paris Accord. Uh, i mean they're they're really investing very heavily behind doing that stuff and taking it seriously yeah' it 's it's, it's awesome
0: to see right a large corporate one that clearly has its own environmental issues and environmental contra- negative environmental contributions by its own admission, not just talk about sustainability but actually invest money right into solving some of the core problems and actually deploying technologies like yours and one of the interesting things, I was just looking at some of the background, which is um, really interesting stat. If all the motors and buildings could be replaced with turn hide technology, it would be the equivalent of reducing carbon emissions by 2.3 gigatons of carbon per year, which is adding seven Amazon rainforests. And so I guess one of the questions I have is, that's profound, right? Like at, a, at an environmental level, at a consumer surplus around energy and the economy level. That is profound. Um, How do you think about telling that story, right? Um, It it must be a challenge to go from, I build motors, and I have a more efficient motor, to I have the potential to add seven Amazon rainforests, right? That, That is a that is a chasm intellectually and logically to to cross. How do you think about selling that? And I'm I'm asking in particular, if you were selling into the real estate industry, how would you position that sale?
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's an interesting question. I mean, all these climate change, all these things can involve such big numbers that they just seem so distant from anything you can relate to at a human scale, right? Uh, I mean, so, People have looked on a map. Hopefully, the Amazon rainforest is pretty big. So to have another seven of those sequestering something carbon is, is hopefully a, a concept of the magnitude of this. Uh, I, I don't know if you can see my my shirt is our mascot. We call Bone, so it's a, a T Rex fossil. So I, I measure there. Let's say ten tons. So I, I measure everything in terms of how many uh, T Rexes are we not digging up and burning? <laughs> it been through? They've been through enough already. Um, so like one one HVAC upgrade. You know, a typical kind of three horsepower motor will be the equivalent of not digging up and burning a 2x of carbon <laughs> over its, you know, 10 year life or something like that. So that's like a more human scale. Uh, but I mean, for real estate investors, uh, they're pretty practical people. So it's usually not an emotional sale. It's usually more, okay, what's what's the ROI and how does this uh, translate into asset value? I mean, the two big things, depending if you're the asset owner or you're the operator, you know, if you're the operator, you know, rough numbers, a two thousand dollar motor might save seven hundred to thousand dollars a year of electricity. So you know, you've got a, a two three year payback. Typically, if you're the asset owner and you're you know getting a multiple, uh, you know, say a five percent cap rate is a twenty percent multiple on your operating income. And so if you're taking responsibility for for the energy bill and you lower that by say a thousand dollars a year, you know, that's going to increase your asset value. You know, 20 x that, right? So uh, I mean, I think those are some of there's, there's like pretty, pretty clean math around it. I mean, the nice thing with motors uh, compared to some other energy efficiency things is that it's, it's pretty uh, black and white. It's pretty concrete how much energy you're saving. I mean, ROI or asset value increase are kind of the two clear ones if you're, whether you're an operator or an owner, obviously if you're both, you know, both.
0: You know, I always ask people when I, when I interview them what's cause for optimism, right? I think when you talk about sustainability a lot and when you talk about the climate crisis, there's kind of a, a reflexive reversion towards pessimism and how, you know the, the the negativity around this. When you just look at your company and some of what you're seeing from market response from investors, from the public, what gives you cause for optimism right around our capacity to solve the climate crisis through motors or through other means
1: yeah i would I would say. At a high level, uh, why I'm optimistic about you know kind of the, the world and this market that we're in general is, for the first time, you know, really just in the last few years, maybe three to four years, uh, it's not there's not a compromise to be more environmentally friendly or to be a better business person. It's uh, the technologies are are following these these highly predictable you know cost curves. It, again, if you can leverage this information technology, you know, architecture component, um, it's just going to be cheaper and better. And so, you know, it's the free market forces are are really starting to kick in. You know, 12 years ago or 10 years ago, if you wanted to have solar on your roof, you know, you kind of did it to be cute, but it did not pay for itself. I mean, it was, it was an infinite payback or a 20-year payback or something. You know, now solar on the generation side, I think, is, is, is cheaper than coal for a generation, right? You know, our motors use less raw materials to build than even a standard low efficiency motor, uh, you know, let alone the high efficiency motors that use these very expensive rare earth materials. So, uh, and, and, you know, LED lighting is sort of the same thing. It's just cheaper, cheaper to operate over its lifetime. So, you know, the economic forces are, are really uh, kicking in. This is all because of technology development uh, that can leverage more you know, computing power. And then certainly on the policy side, I think there's been a lot of improvements. I mean, this is not an area I'm, I'm an expert in. You probably know more than me, but you know, having uh, you know, so I'm obviously a fan of you know free market capitalism, but you know, you really do have a need for regulation uh, to expose problems that otherwise wouldn't happen on their own. So you think of like fuel economy standards. You know that it, it, you want regulations to have a make the playing field level, but if everybody has to raise the fuel economy. Uh, you know, then that's going to expose some of the hidden costs because people, you know, just didn't even realize it before. They weren't, you know, uh, there was no incentive to make these better products. And in in the built environment, I think you're seeing a lot of that sort of intelligent regulation kick in as well. Um, And just the overall awareness, I mean, people, uh, you know, the customer side, people get it. I mean, like 10 years ago, you had to search, you know, somewhat hard to find the sustainability person at the company. And now it's like on the front page for everybody because they really get, hey, this, our consumers are going to leave us. I mean, if we're really not addressing this, this head on. And oh, by the way, if we're intelligent about it, we'll actually make money and save money by doing this stuff.
0: What I'm, what I'm hearing you say and what it feels like, and I, and I hear this, by the way, from a lot of entrepreneurs in the space is that, you know, historically it was that one's environmental, ethical, altruistic sensibilities was the main driver of whatever action taken, right? And th- there was, that was not necessarily coincident with what was the most financially expedient thing to do, right? Which might be to just, you know, do the old polluting stuff that you were doing. Mm-hmm. And today, these cost curves, technology curves, various laws that you've referenced, have progressed such that we're at this inflection point where Now one's environmental sensibilities and one's altruism can in fact be coincident with what is the right thing to do. What is the appropriate pricing of these environmental externalities and what can deliver a consumer surplus in the form of less energy consumption to produce the same economy that we all want to continue the progress of society in the world. And it's actually really inspiring to hear. And I think what's also interesting is when I think about, you know, commercial real estate, uh, owners are starting to get this, right? That the, the financial imperative, kind of the, the, the free hand, right, of, of the market is driving them to take actions that happen to be coincident with adopting technologies like, like Turntide. And I think that's really inspiring. And what's incumbent, it feels like, on venture capitalists and entrepreneurs to do is to shine a light on that coincidence, right? Because that is new. That is actually relatively new. And it's profound because that can truly drive adoption dramatically of technologies like yours.
1: Yeah, no. And it is really genuinely new. And that gets to that, you know, these exponential cost curves like, uh, you know, it's funny, one of our investors, Tony Fidel, uh, he he was his first job. And there's a great documentary about this company, General Magic. So if you remember this company in the early 90s, uh, it was a group of people that spun out of Apple. And they had all of exactly the correct ideas for the uh, the iPhone, which of course the greatest consumer, you know, I think it sold I don't know, hundreds of billions of dollars of product. And it was like a $400 million bonfire <laughs> because, you know, a, a device in 94 that, you know, has a hundred dollars worth of memory can store 30 seconds of music or something. And that's not an appealing product, but as soon as that can store a hundred hours of music, it's like, you know, the iPod and the iPhone and it sells a billion units. And so understanding you know, that these technology uh, cost curves, you know, keep moving forward and keep marching forward. And, you know, our time sort of for switch reluctance, you know, happened to be only feasible about three or four years ago, but there's so many other technologies like things with like smart sensors, smart buildings, you know, we're, we're getting into now. Uh, And so I just think uh, for people in the venture capital space like you, if you can really just see, Hey, what's maybe, you know, Two, three, four, five years out, and that we can fund so that by the time the cost curve comes down, you know it's going to pay for itself. I mean, that I'm, I'm glad there's lots of people doing that because that's what really you know gets this sort of you know profitable clean tech uh, you know engine running running hotter and hotter until you know eventually all the carbon is gone. It's the goal. Well, we couldn't
0: do it without entrepreneurs like like yourself. So um, it's awesome to chat with you, Ryan and love, you know, obviously what you're doing at Turntide and we're so excited to help and introduce your technology to the commercial real estate industry.
1: Um, so thanks so much for everything that you're doing. Yeah, no, great, great to partner with you guys and yeah, excited about, uh, you know, working with all of your strategic, uh, strategic LPs. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for listening
0: to this episode of Building to Zero. All of these episodes and more are available on our YouTube channel. To learn more about Fifth Wall, visit our website at
1: www.fifthwall.com.